Gold Shields brings true stories from law enforcement, the military, true crime authors, and first responders. Experience the dedication, danger, and emotional toll with the heroes themselves. These gripping tales of true crimes, true stories, and true heroes are all here on Gold Shields. Welcome back to Gold Shields. This is Dan Murphy along with my partner in crime, Tom Smith. We're thrilled to be back with a guest today we're so excited about. But before we get into him, we always like to thank our friends at the beginning of every show. And right away, I want to jump off by starting with Bone Frog Coffee, which everybody knows that I drink all the time, not just on the show, all the time. Why? Because it's phenomenal coffee. But secondly, because Tim Kirkshank, who's our friend, career Navy SEAL, American hero, started this company to give back to the Navy SEAL community. And he does that in an exceptional way. If you love coffee and you want to do something right with your dollars for coffee, bonefrogcoffee.com slash goldshields, get the promo code, use that promo code, get that extra 15% off and enjoy the greatest tasting coffee you'll ever have. We also care about personal protection. Impact Solutions makes a alternative to pepper spray, carryimpact.com, carryimpact.com. Dot com. Buy that. Give it to your family. If you're in law enforcement, reach out through the website. We'll get you some samples. We'll do what we have to do. It is an, it's better than pepper spray. You can use it anywhere. You can use it in a squad. You can use it on an elevator. No matter where, it doesn't cross-contaminate. Cleans up quickly. Does the job without the mess. Carryimpact.com. My partner at crime, Tom Smith. How are we this morning, bud? Good, man. I'm psyched. We only waited for this for like a year, but that's cool. what we'll get into that later. He's a busy uh, man. He's a busy man. <laughs> you know, uh, I had the, the fortune of meeting a great woman when I did the Whiskey Wall with, with Kyle Reyes uh, a couple of weeks ago. Uh, Shelly Klingerman is an absolute great person who has two fantastic organizations that she heads, uh, Stiletto Agency and Project Never Forget. Project Never Forget is a tribute to her brother, uh, Greg Ferenczi, who was killed in line of duty. And it's all about supporting law enforcement and, and having a voice for people who've given the ultimate sacrifice in this country. And places like this we need. Stiletto agencies for self-protection, which again, Dan just went into with impact. Uh, that is very important to Dan and I. So we're going to get into more with these two projects and Shelley's background. Uh, that we're going to be involved in. Uh, Gold Shields and Impact are going to be involved with both companies, both organizations. So we're looking forward to getting uh, Shelly out there more and those two amazing organizations. So stay tuned for more info on that. Uh, for today, uh, it's not bad that we have a social media giant. Uh, I mean, if you're on LinkedIn, Facebook, anywhere that has posts, and, and you're going to know this, man, Banning Sweatland not only is a incredible person and out there defending our rights every single day in Jack County Sheriff's Office in Texas as a patrol supervisor, but he's his dedication and love for this job and wanting to make this job even better is what we're going to talk about today. Uh, and I'm going to let him explain uh, his background and what his future is holding that we're going to certainly be a part of. So banning. Thank you, finally, for being on Gold Shields. Uh, all our schedules hooked up together to finally get you on. So welcome, brother. Thank you for coming. Hey, thank you very much, Tom, Dan. I appreciate both of y'all having me on the show. Love the Southern accent. Could do this all day long, pal. Love it. I so you're a fixture that. in Jack County, Texas, but you're known beyond that. Uh, tell us a little bit about your upbringing and what brought you to where you are right now, professionally and even personally. Sure. Uh, 30,000 foot view. I was adopted at birth. I love sharing that. Um, and the reason I, I say that is, is that it's instrumental in the job and both of y'all being in the job, understand that we deal with juveniles a lot. So I've been to many calls to where um, the juvenile will state in a statement, I did whatever against the law because I was adopted and my life sucks. And a <laughs> I try to explain to them I was adopted as well. Uh, you know, my, my birth mother was uh, 
involved in the the oldest profession in the world and and uh and i was created out of that and i had an amazing family adopt me <clears throat> at two weeks old i was flown over to barry st edmunds england my father was in the air force uh, as a fighter pilot and uh, so lived over there for the first couple of years of my life then moved back to virginia where my dad took a job at the pentagon um and then from virginia after that to once i got into school um uh, was roughly in 23 different schools growing up so all over the united states um i did more moving in k through 12 uh than i did when i was in the united states marine so that kind of goes off into that uh, high school I had no ambition to get good grades. Uh, I saw all these people taking the SATs and going into college. I looked at my uh, not-so-good report card. I was always thinking of stuff outside of school as opposed to, to inside school. I was worried about going out and shooting on the weekends or riding a dirt bike. Uh, we owned a place called the Night Center. My stepdad my mother did. It was a pool hall, movie theater. Uh, had all kinds of arcades and, and food. And that was... that. That's a business that they had when I was in high school. So it was the only, that was in Toronto, Ohio, on the Ohio River. Um, that's where I actually stayed for the longest period of my life was Toronto, Ohio. So eighth grade through senior year. Um, I'm from Texas, Waco, Texas. I got to throw that out there because people are like, oh, you must be from Ohio. I'm, I'm not from Ohio. There's a lot of great people up there, but I am from Texas. Um, turning 18 years old, I, I signed myself into the Marine Corps. That was two or three days after I graduated. Uh, high school and and joined the United States Marines. Basically, went in. Uh, everybody told me I wouldn't be able to do well in it in, in the Marines, so I decided to to join that and, and prove people wrong. Um, and then my recruiter said, "Well, what do you want to do in the Marines?" And I said, "I have no clue. I'm used to the Air Force, where my where my dad's teach me. I, I don't know, fly area. You know, had no clue between enlisted and officer. Learned very quickly uh, what the differences were, and stood on those yellow footprints down in Paris Island, South Carolina." Um, with a chip on my shoulder and didn't know why these guys in these campaign styled hats were yelling at me when there was nothing wrong with my hearing then. Now, of course, I've got some hearing issues, but um, uh, I, I let it be known that they don't have to yell at me. And I became a, a special project to them uh, to lead the platoon. And they thought so well of me as the platoon was running in formation. I got to roam around the platoon carrying the guide on um, uh, just because they wanted to reward me and make me run a little bit more. But uh, the biggest story out of that was, is I learned leadership from a very young age you know, through my father. Um, and then the Marine Corps helped me refine that. And um, I, I, I signed up for Marine Corps Security Force Company, which is security forces. It's not MPs. Um, I can say that we guarded our nation's assets and it was uh, really neat. They, they teach you proper room clearing. Uh, they get a lot more advanced with it than I that I learned in, in in law enforcement. I got to bring some of those tools into law enforcement with me. So, um, served just uh, one term in the Marine Corps, and basically I was trying to tie myself up from eighteen to twenty one years old because I wanted to be a police officer from such a young age, and I needed that filler. And I knew the college life wasn't going to be for me. Now I took some college courses while I was in the Marines and grew up a little bit and understood how to start studying and, and learning things and got meritoriously promoted while I was in the Marine Corps and realized I was actually pretty smart if it was a subject that, uh, that I cared about. So honorably, uh, got out of the Marine Corps, uh, honorable discharge on the DD-214, got back to Texas as fast as I could. Um, and, and I've said this in a lot of podcasts, but a lot of people get a, get a kick at it. Uh, when, when I got back here, my, my mother and father are not computer people at all. Um, so they had the, and this is what, 2001, yes. Um, and they still have the 56K dial-up modems. Nothing has really gone fast in the internet then. So I was researching how to become a, a Texas law enforcement officer. And during that time, um, I, I went, I was living in Rockwall at the time with, with my father, uh, trying to get my life figured out on, on getting into law enforcement. I was working security jobs on the side. So I couldn't find anything online that was feasible. I would go to the local police departments like Rockwall PD or Rockwall County Sheriff's Office. Um, Rockwall County Sheriff's Office wasn't hired. They had a they had a full um, they were full of deputies, full of corrections officers, and, and Rockwall PD uh, required a four year degree even to come in for an interview. So I, I wasn't at that step yet. Um, contacted DPS and where they were doing the testing at that that year, 
I, I didn't have a reliable enough car to get to that side of the state. So um kept researching, couldn't find anything. And I knew that there was a, a commission or something that was the entity that, that looked over our licenses like most states have. And I, I just, I never could get the name. So long story short, I was coming home from working in downtown Dallas one night. I worked at a, at a, uh, it was a club and I was working as a, as a, as a door guard checking IDs. It was called Red Jacket. It was a, a uh, Russian themed club. The Russians didn't own it or anything. They just liked the, the Russian theme with all the lights and everything. And leaving there one night and I passed a, a state trooper on the Rowlett Bridge, uh, which goes over Lake, uh, Lake Ray Hubbard. It's a huge lake. And I saw a trooper sitting on the side of the road. And it was too dangerous how small it was just to go pull up next to him, try to talk to him. Plus, I didn't want to scare him. It was about three, three o'clock in the morning. So I'd, I had just hammered down and got up a little bit above the speed limit, got his attention, and uh, he stopped me on the middle of the bridge. We were, and now we're in a much safer spot. And uh, thank God he was walking up, saw all my Ura Marine Corps stickers on the back of the car, you know, freshly out. And uh, thank God he was a Marine. So we sat there, got to talk. Uh, he became a mentor, if you will, to me, showed me and educated me on something that's called, back then it was T-Close, Texas Commission on Law Enforcement and Standards. Now it's just T-Cole. Um, and there are the entity that, that licenses us and, and uh, provides all the standards from legislation. But I uh, used my GI Bill and put myself to the academy and got out and became a reserve at one agency. Then went in a very short amount of time, went full-time in another small agency um, in Oak Cliff area, uh, which is called Cockrell Hill, Texas, and then got the call from Halton City, Texas, where I spent uh, 90% of my career. Um, started off in patrol, went into K-9. K-9 uh, was probably my, my most exciting part of law enforcement thus far, uh, working with narcotics. DPS always call me out. DPS is the state troopers here. Uh, they would call me out before they would call their own dog. Um, same with large agencies like Fort Worth, and Arlington, Grand Prairie. Uh, my, I got a pretty big name pretty quick. Uh, my dog's name was Mary Jane. <laughs> and she was really good at, at uh, locating narcotics and also doing um, article recovery. So if you were, just to give you an example, if you go to a, um, a stabbing or unfortunate a homicide scene and you had articles maybe in grass but you didn't want to destroy the evidence before fighting it we could i could send mary jane out there and she would get into the scent of a a, a discharge round or or a knife uh, or something very small even you know smaller than a dime something that spelled differently than everything out there and she would lay down about six inches from it and lay point her nose to it and it let our co evidence collection team go out and collect that evidence um and then for narcotics so she was just a a huge part of my career. I did that, I believe it was for right around nine years. Got back out and jumped back into patrol uh, until I retired from Halton City. And then I moved up here to Jacksboro, Texas. And I'll, I'll be honest, I didn't know. I knew there was a Jacksboro. I didn't know where it was at. I knew it was kind of out in the middle of nowhere and uh, came up here for the first time and fell in love with the people. Um, going into a restaurant was such a different experience than going into a restaurant in Dallas. Uh, they truly cared about you when they're taking your order. They didn't care who was with you. Uh, they took care of everybody at the table. Um, and then anybody else that came in the restaurant, they, I mean, it was a true um, customer experience as opposed to going in and a waiter, waiter or waitress just, you know, what do you want? And, and quickly trying to get you out of there. They wanted you to have uh, the full experience of uh, just, just how nice they are up here. So fell in love with the community. Um, I was already working on a creating a nonprofit. And during the creation of that, I got a lot of great people that wanted to sit on the board with me and I'm not going to dive into it completely, but it's called Emergency Operations Proving Grounds. And what we do is uh, we, we provide training locations and uh, high-speed tip of the spear instructors to, to train local rural law enforcement to become better at little to no cost. That's always a budgetary issue on law enforcement not getting the training that they need. And I just wanted to create something um, that was of great value at little to no cost. So um, I do that on the side. Um, other people run it. I don't have to get very involved right now. I've got great guys that, that do that for me. Uh, we have a 30,000 square foot structure here in the city of Jacksboro. It's the old county hospital. And um, 
I've SWAT teams from around the state come up here on a quarterly basis to do uh, to do trading, and it's a it's an amazing wow, thing. That, that is incredible. Um, if I just stop you for a second, I don't want to gloss yes, over sir. that too much. Uh, that's first of all the fact that you undertook this as a nonprofit to do on the side. Is is it just such a testament to who you are and how much you deeply care about your community and your profession? Because you know that they're interlinked. There's no such thing as a healthy community and an unhealthy police department, and vice versa. They have to have the right training. And there's so many small agencies around this country. And as a matter of fact, the vast majority of them are small, single and double digit numbers of sworn law enforcement officers, right? And they just don't have the budgets to send their people to bigger uh, training facilities around the country. They need the training just as much as because a critical situation can happen anywhere at any time. And the responding law enforcement in this country needs to have a fairly um, standardized set of training and, and uh, qualifications. It's just, it's vital. It's vital for officer safety. It's vital for community safety. Uh, the mere fact that you undertook that, wow, that is, that is, inc- I can't wait. You know, Tom and I would love to come down and see it sometime and be part of that because, you know, that is, I don't want to gloss over that. That's big stuff. Yeah. You know, and, and I that's what that. I was just, Going along the same lines, uh, Dan, great job with that. Uh, you know what I was impressed with, with, with your story, Dan, Banning, as, as we're listening in, and we say this all the time, to be successful in this job, in this profession, you have to love it. You can't like it. If you like it, you're not going to be successful. You're not going to do what, what needs to be done in this job. And not that they were hurdles in your life, but it wasn't easy. I mean, you had to, you had to get through some stuff and, and make sure things were taken care of. And you had a passion for this job and you wouldn't let anything get in that way. And that's, that's what policing is. That's what it needs to be, you know, to have a thought in your mind about what you want to do with your life and then don't let anything stop you. I mean, when you voluntarily blow past a cop to get pulled over so you can talk to them, that's dedication, man. That's, (laughs) that's a love for what you want to do. That's a, that, that doesn't Very happen too so. often. Uh, but what I wanted to ask you, and along the lines of, of what Danny just said, from the Marine Corps to the numerous, the, the couple of police departments that you were in, to where you are now in your training, what's the biggest thing since then that has changed in policing from then to now that, that we need to get caught up on? Like the training, that's what I mean, the training you're, you're providing is where we need to be. But other than that, what, what do you see in your world where you were and where you are now as far as policing in this country now? Truly, I think New York Police Department does it best still, and, and that's getting out within the community. Though they may not be liked in a lot of the communities they're in, but uh, walking the beats going out there and getting involved with the kids, with the next generation growing up. This, this is a, you know, I've, I've gone and done ride outs across this entire country and we've got some amazing officers across this country. But I think, uh, when, when the mobile mobilization of vehicles came, uh, from motorcycles to cars and it just, it separated us that much more, uh, from the community. And we've, yes, we are proactive as law enforcement, but we are still, I believe much higher as a, as a reactive force. And uh, what I mean by that is, is, is I believe we need to get back in the schools. And I'm not talking about our school resource officers. I'm talking about the beat cop. Um, we do it up here, uh, and it does great. You know, we've got three different districts um, that are here in Jack County, and and I encourage my my day shift deputies to 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 go in there. Um, obviously, I'm not their their high boss. The sheriff is their high boss, um, but I do what I can at the at the, at the lower uh, supervisory level that I am. And, and these new deputies that come out of the academy, bless their hearts, um, they don't get taught that interaction. And yes, we have to understand the law. We've got to do de-escalation, and, and we could talk about that for hours. Uh, mainstream media won't tell you that law enforcement's been doing de-escalation since the 70s. Um, it's just part of our training, and it's just you know speaking to people, um, using your heart and your brain before you use anything on your belt. But... To go in there at lunch, you know, if the, if the school's got three different lunches and you don't have any calls, why not go in there and sit down and have lunch at a table? Not every kid's going to want to sit with you, but when they see you in there time in and time in again, 
you're eventually going to break down those walls to where they're not going to be afraid to talk to you. They, they may have something going on at home, and just because you're in a reaction with them, uh, they may come to you and, and speak about it. But that's that's my thing is is, is the inter- interaction with with uh, citizens uh, that we serve has has got to step that's, up. That's some. A, a very very true statement, and thanks for sharing that because I think it's universal in policing. And one of the things that I remember from my time in New York was. We were so busy, and it's not an excuse, but we were so busy as a department back in the 80s and 90s that we were running from one job to another, one call to another, especially if you worked in the busier areas like Tom and I did. It's all day, all night. But if you don't stop and make that time to have that personal interaction, because you have to understand something, there's a lot of society in general right now that's anti-police. And that is the sentiment that is expressed to the child on the street, in the home, sometimes in the school. And that's all they get. And you become this nameless person in a uniform that they have a problem with. They've never had an experience with you, yet they have a negative opinion of you. And you have to break through that and become the person, not the uniform, right? And so I can't tell you how many times I have been on foot posts or even working in a sector car, and I've heard parents walking down the street with a young child, and the child is two or something. And the child is, you know, taking their time because they're a child and the parent is dragging the kid and the kid and the parent would look at me and look at the kid and say, if you don't behave yourself, I'll have that officer kill you. I heard it more than once. And I almost had a heart attack the first time I heard it. I thought, what are you teaching this child? You're an adult. You can make your own mind up. You can be as demented or as hate-filled as you want, but that little child is so impressionable. And it's at those ages that we have to let them know that we're there for them. We care for them. We're a resource. We're not the enemy. And wow, thank you for bringing that up. That is a vital piece of police work. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And and to, to add to that, just for one second, when it doesn't happen so much up here in the rural area, but when I would have lunch breaks down in the, met, we call it the Metroplex, uh, when I was working at Alton City, there'd be a group of four or five officers if we were lucky enough, there wouldn't calls from maybe even from different agencies. We'd all come to IHOP or Denny's or, or Waffle House to eat if it's late at night and you would have the, uh, a mother come in with a couple kids, and he, it never it never failed, and it was, it was very disheartening. On, on some, some of them were outstanding. I could speak for days on the good, great things. Um, but, you know, bring that child over the table and point, point at me, and they'd say, I need you to tell my son or daughter here, if they don't wear their seatbelt, you're going to write them a ticket. So I would look over at this very impressionable young person standing there, and I'd say, you know, son, if you fail to put on your seatbelt, I will write your mother a ticket because that is her job to be your parent. <laughs> it's just the look, the look on their face as they pull the child away and you see the child smile. And uh, and I think that's, if it's right or wrong, I, I really don't care. Um, I believe that it is the, the parent's responsibility and not to pawn um, that off onto us. Because just like you were saying, that, that just makes the wrong impression of what we are. And what we're out wow. here. Wow. Uh, my God. Well, that's a great story. You know, and just again, I think your advice with, with schools is so vital uh, because that's where it starts. That's where they get their information. That's where the rumors get circulated. And I'm fortunate enough every once in a while to go into a, a local college here and speak a couple of times in a semester uh, with professors I know very well. Then I go into their criminal justice classes. And it's amazing, even at the college level. That I'll sit there and after we talk about whatever we're going to talk about, I'll open it up and say, I want you to ask me anything you want. You have a cop in front of you with the 30 years that I've had, ask me anything and I'll give you a straight answer. The rumors of misinformation that they throw out at me and I'm like, what? Wait a minute. You know, and then I'll explain the the correct answer, you know, and, and stuff and they're relieved. You know, why does this happen? And I'll explain why it happens. You know, and, and even at, like I said, the college level, and you're talking about even less than that, you know, lower grades than that makes it even more important by the time they get into college, they have a, a good idea of, of what's going on and, and policing and what police officers are all about. And, you know, it goes to Dan knows very well, you know, my relationship with my dad and, and while he was alive, the advice he would give me all the time. But I remember way back when I first got out of the academy telling me, Get to know all the kids in your neighborhood. Get to know all the kids in the precinct. Because A, you want to have their respect. B, they see everything. 
<laughs> so at one point, if you have a good relationship with them and something happens on a certain block, they're going to talk to you because they like you. And and I made it a point, you know, if they're playing football on the street, grab the football, get out of the radio car, start throwing the ball around if you had time. Like Dan said, we were busy, you know, so downtime was was a treat sometimes. But we did that all the time, play basketball, shoot a couple of hoops, throw the football around, give them a high five, get back in your car, drive away. Yeah, that was, uh, that was a very, very um, interesting point that you brought up, Betting, and I think it spawns a lot of conversation that we could have right now. And not to get too much into that because we want to talk more about you, but you know, there's such a negative impression given by the media of law enforcement for a long time. In New York, we're used to it. I hate to say we're immune, but we were so used to the media, the whims of the media, whatever, whatever sold papers for them, if it was beat the cops up, they beat us up. When they wanted to praise us as a hero, they would praise us and then go right back to beating us up. Uh, whoever was in the mayor's office, all that dictated how we were viewed by the media. But we have seen a trend in several years in this country where it's the big lie. Now, when we screw up, when one of our own does something wrong with bad intent, I have no problem slapping the cuffs on myself and walking them into their jail cell. No problem. As a matter of fact, I would do it with pride because that person has a higher standard. But when you do nothing wrong and you're railroaded, and you're lied about, and we've seen this, and we're not getting too much into cases. It's been several years now, high, high-profile cases, where the officers did nothing wrong. And many of them are sitting in prison cells. Their lives ruined. And the media has taken that and, and made it pervasive. So that way, you can't even do your job anymore in so many jurisdictions in this country. How does that, how is, I mean, how does that, impacted your role and how you view policing in general and what do you do to combat that it's it's tough to see that and uh, a lot of people know that i i try to steer clear of the of the news of course people are going to send me links um i'm connected to a few people on linkedin so they'll they'll send me stories on uh a, if, if a law enforcement officer does something wrong and it's on mainstream media I can wake up in the morning and have well over 900 to 1,000 messages just on LinkedIn on people wanting my opinion. And I'm just a deputy in a, in a small county uh, trying to humanize the badge out here. And I, I take great pride in people wanting to know my opinion. And unless I know all the facts of everything, unless I got a, a copy of the body camera and can look at the investigation, it's very hard to weigh in on what an officer is, is accused of doing. And I think both of y'all would agree with that. You have to have the, the entire facts. However, I don't think there's any officer in the United States that wakes up at 4 a.m. is going to work 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. And he wakes up and he goes, you know what? I think I'm going to go violate somebody's rights today because I'm bored. Um, and I think I speak for the majority out there. Uh, there are so many amazing police officers. And yes, we don't. We don't have 100% good police officers out there, and I think they need to be buried under the jail if they're out there to do ill intentions and never be able to get out. Because I do believe um, that, for one, we are held to higher standards, but the thing is, is we should be held to higher standards. And I do believe that that's when we're off duty out there with our families, or if, we're, if it's a single officer out there on, on a weekend and he's just being a citizen, I do believe he should be held to a higher standard because. He still has arrest capabilities when he's off, at least in the state of Texas. Um, and, and he should not be acting a fool out there because I believe it, it does tarnish the badge if they're off and they get caught doing something criminal. And I believe that judge and jury should be reminded that that's this guy a day prior was out walking a beat or in a pursuit. Um, yes, we're human. We're going to screw up. But just being held to a higher standard is, is, is what I believe. But I do get the stories all the time. Being out here in a, in a rural area, uh, we're about 917 square miles. And right now on day shift, I have one deputy trolling 917 square miles. So um, I want you to think about, you know, it's the same size as Tarrant County where y'all are coming. That, that's the, uh, the county seat is Fort Worth or Dallas for the county seat of, of Dallas County. And in, in, in land size, we're the same size. Um, and I have one deputy. Now, of course, the population is nowhere near uh, what they have over there. 
Um, but I could have a deputy on the northwest side of the county uh, receive a 911 call for a domestic that's on the southeast side. And then with construction and stuff that we have, it, if he's running code, you're getting close to that hour mark. And I'm talking on a highway running down. Or if he's if he's on a back road, on a dirt road, which in rural county, Texas, we have so many dirt roads, it's not even funny. I mean, that's one of our, some of our main thoroughfares. Um, here in the city of Jacksboro, our county seat, we have some dirt roads within the city limits. Um, they have plans to get them paved, but this is a rural area. I mean, it's, and then you have to keep your speeds to a minimum. Or if you're behind, if you're, if you're trying to make a traffic stop on a dirt road and they're going over 40 miles an hour, forget trying to get that license plate number. You're in a dust cloud. We have to change our, um, cabin air filters and engine air filters probably three times as much as a uh, municipality in a, in a city just because of the dirt and debris. Um, and we, and we have black cars. I'm not sure why we have black cars, but, but we do. So, um, of course, the community wants to see a black car. We don't have a budget for that. So we, we, we clean the cars on, on our own dime. And, uh, that just shows some of the motivation from the, from the deputies up here. Um, but to go back to what you were saying, it, it does affect it because the youth here, they obviously look at Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, whatever the, whatever the platform, and they're constantly fed. Uh, what the mainstream media is putting out there or, or anti-police comments and this and that. And, and you run into some of these youth, if I go to some games and they'll come up and ask me, is there a truth to that the officer in ABC state up here did this? I can say I've had the story sent to me, but I don't know the facts. And I'm not really going to comment on it. Well, they're like, well, we know you, Betty, you wouldn't do that. Why would he do that again? I don't know the facts. So it's very hard to comment about it. So it shifts our use thoughts. Uh, it's just like if you have a family member or one of these children's family members doesn't like law enforcement, they have to listen to that sermon at their house, how they were done bad or the police did that to them. And don't ever, uh, don't go ask the police for help. They're, they're going to do nothing but put you in jail. And they just have this negative cycle over and over and over in their head. And it's very hard to, uh, to change that once they get to a certain age. You can, but it's just, it's just hard to change that. So that's what I see in, in rural America um, is everything that's following through the internet and the TV waves is getting their train of thought differently out here on the street. It's almost unfathomable to Tom and I and to many officers in this country, uh, the challenges faced by small rural, de rural departments with large geographical areas to cover with understaffed uh, agencies. Um, I think it's amazing and I, I'll be sending up lots of prayers for all those officers now. It's a reminder of just what happens in most of America geographically. You're waiting a long time. And Tom and I were blessed in as much as, despite the fact that we worked in an area that was congested with people, overwhelmed with crime, we had backup. We could call, and if it took two, three minutes for a car to get there, that's a lot in New York, literally. So I can imagine an hour and change for, I mean, it's cr insanity. You've got, it's a different well, style of policing, right? It is. It, I came from a, a, a large, a medium-sized, a hundred-man agency, um, and I was a, I'll call it a cucka magnet. Uh, when, I, when I was down there as a young officer, um, we would get in a lot of pursuits. Um, obviously, I've been in it long enough to where you watch the, we're not going to chase anything, or we're only going to chase up this, and, and I get it. A lot of these pursuits can end in, end in uh, catastrophe, so um, I have canceled more pursuits than I've stayed with it, if that makes sense. Because of the general public, you don't want a vehicle to cream off into a school or into a house. And uh, the officers is so responsible for that. And then the, the vicarious liability that comes on to the mid-level supervisor listening to the pursuit, um, it's a lot easier for them to say, okay, you're going that fast. Let's go ahead and we're going to cancel this pursuit. Um, and then it's going to be up to that officer to articulate, um, it, does, does the uh, consequences outweigh to get this guy, is he intoxicated? Is and there's so many factors that these young men and women um, wearing this badge out here have to run in milliseconds in their head uh, because lives depend on that. And the training that needs to go on for these administrators to hold them accountable is very wow. important. I mean, you know what? what? What you rattled off in the last ten minutes is just another example of of people needing to understand this job is not easy. It's not easy on duty. It's not easy off duty. Because everything you do is under a microscope. Like you say, going out to dinner with your family, you're still who you are. There's not an off switch. 
you know, and that dictates or that goes to all law enforcement. You screw up, it goes to everybody. It's on everybody. You know, you could screw up in Northern California and a cop in Florida is going to get affected by it. You know, and, and that's the hard part of this job. You have to be, you have to be aware of what you are and that, not, not meaning we're above anyone. I don't mean that, but the responsibility that police officers have is enormous because like I said, you don't have an off switch. You work in an office in your cubicle, play, you know, on your computer all day, you walk out that door, it's an off switch. You know, we don't have that. Exactly. Uh, and you know, the, the pursuit thing is so uh interesting because you know dan being a sergeant had to make those calls and those are hard those are hard calls and and me being on the other side in the middle of a pursuit yelling at danny you know not danny per se but a supervisor no don't call it off no we need this you know those those are hard decisions to make and and like you said banning a lot depends on you have to you have to factor everything in a second What's the crime for? Where are they going? Where are they heading? Who's in the car? Who's, I mean, it's endless. Uh, then, the, then the officer, you know, if he's been trained properly, he's got to start focusing on his breathing because what, what's, what's going on? You know, we're getting that, that tunnel vision, which, which gets everybody in trouble. So he's, he's focusing on that breathing. And like I said, I could talk about this for hours, but then it's also the dispatcher. That dispatcher has got to be of sound mind and body, and they've got to have that calm that calm demeanor that, you know, an officer say, I'll use my number here, uh, 414, I'm behind a vehicle that's failing to yield, northbound on 281, speeds are 110 miles an hour. And then what's going on in that dispatcher's mind that may have not dealt with a lot of these things, um, she's going to try to get me resources and she looks at the map and I may be the only one that's on duty. So she's looking down here at the city of Jacksboro, they have two officers on, could I get one of them en route to go to them? But she, and she's trying to stay calm. All well, the driver is the only true one that knows why he's running. Uh, we're we're trying to figure that out while while you know running really quick. Um, it's just a lot of a lot of dynamic stuff that happens really fast. The general public doesn't understand is we are trying to make those right decisions in milliseconds uh, to either stop the moment moment of this person so he doesn't hurt somebody more, or we're gonna we're gonna cut and release because he, we know who he is or she is, and we're gonna write a warrant for him and, and, and catch him on the flip side. And that's, if I could control that, if we could do that, that would be great. A lot less people would get hurt or injured. So we could probably talk tactics and, and how to handle yourself as a cop on the street and all those things all day long with you. You're a fascinating guy and uh, we have contrasting sort of careers, although they have that common theme. Policing is policing, but where you do it dictates kind of how you do it sometimes, right? But you are taking a step now and you are running for office and we want to get a chance to talk about that, about your platform, what your plans are. And, uh, please let, let's, if you live down in Texas in, in the Jack County area and you listen to this, this is Banning Swetland. This is the man who wants to be your sheriff. And we want to give him a chance to talk about why you should vote for him, what his plans are and basically take it away. Banning, tell us, tell us about what your plans are. So I, I retired in Halton city, came up here, uh, started my nonprofit, uh, nonprofit was going well. The local police department here in Jacksboro probably had a little bit of confusion because we had Dallas police cars, Fort Worth police cars coming up for training. And these are big metro cities an hour away driving all the way up here. And I had an office on Main Street at that time um, to where they would fill the alleyway up behind the office so we could come in and whiteboard stuff or, or do some training before we headed out to the range or, or went to the indoor facility. Um, and it sparked a lot of uh, concern from the amazing city manager that we have here and the police chief at that time. So they kind of came in and, and uh, introduced themselves. And, and of course, we, we offer training. We're fit for, the, for their agency. Um, and then I got the question from the, from the city manager and, and, the, and that chief at the time, would you be willing to put the badge back on? And I, I love law enforcement. When I retired, uh, a little bit in the back of my mind, I'm like, I'm done. I'm going to give 100% to training our next generation and leave it at that. But coming home, speaking to my better half, Jamie, my wife, um, about it, there was still a calling, and and they were they they wanted me to come in as a patrol sergeant at the city level um, to give the experience that I have. So they, um, I ultimately said yes. And keep in mind, I came from a mid level agency, came up, um, didn't know the pay difference, 
uh, in the back of my mind, I really didn't care because I wanted to serve. Um, and then that first two weeks, the paycheck hit, and and this is just a law enforcement joke here. You know, you're, you're looking at that pay stub, and you're like, a couple of zeros missing. <laughs> Jokingly, um, because when you come when you come from a larger agency in a higher tax bracket, uh, but but then I started thinking, why is it like that? We still serve a lot of people here, and per capita, the amount of officers they have on the streets, same almost the same as we do down there, and. You, you wonder, you know, why, why is that? And, and then how do these young officers coming out of the academy come to somewhere like Jacksboro and raise a family at roughly 20 bucks an hour? You know, and that's, that's tough. That's, that's really tough, especially if they're the only breadwinner in the house. So if you want to try, you know, and real estate has boomed for the past three years, ever since COVID, and I don't know about in y'all's area, but it has skyrocketed. Um, and it just, it, it's hard for me to think on how these officers do it. And when there's not a lot of chances for overtime, now here in a, in a rural area, there's just not a ton of chances for off-duty work, which across the country, uh, officers will, will supplement their income on working construction, being that security vehicle to doing, pulling security at whatever. Um, and that's how they kind of make their ends meet. But then another problem I had that I started seeing was, is a city officer would make a traffic stop. And he'd be maybe the only one that's on because the other officer's doing some training where he's on a call and a county officer would just drive by and not stop. Um, when I was in the Metro, if, if I made a stop on the city line of Fort Worth and a Fort Worth officer came by, he would loop back around and just sit back and wait for me to wave him on or ask him to come up and he would come be that, that backup officer with no questions asked. We did the same for them. Tarrant County, which is that county down there, was driving by. They do the same thing. And we were surrounded by cities, and we, we would all back each other up. Um, and then I came up here, and I saw that. And then I would hear on the same radio channel that they're doing a traffic stop, and it was just outside the city limits by a couple thousand yards, and maybe in the supervisor of the city, and my guy was free for a call, and I zipped up to that county deputy, and he's, he was kind of looking at me weird after he spoke to the violator, and he was walking back to his vehicle. He's kind of looking at me weird. And I was like, well, is it because maybe my lights aren't on? Got out. No, my lights are on. Maybe, maybe it was a safety concern. So I pulled up and just introduced myself to him. And, and, and this deputy is, is no longer here. He works in another agency now, but he was, he's like, how did you, you're, you're outside of your city limits. Why, why are you up here with me? On a traffic stop, they can go bad in 2.5 seconds. Um, if something goes bad, I'm here to help you. And, and it would, it blew his mind, uh, because, the leadership at the time at the police department and the leadership at the, the sheriff's office didn't see eye to eye on things. And this, this goes on all over the place, unfortunately. And when they don't see eye to eye on things, words get thrown, rumors get thrown, and then you just have this angst at the top, which trickles down through the ranks. So not officially on paper, but it was, hey, if that agency needs help, let them get their own help through their agency or if we need help, do not call on them because we'll, we'll handle it in-house. Well, this was my, my thinking, and I, and I saw it on a very small bumper sticker uh, out in Louisiana when the, uh, in Baton Rouge when those three, three cops were murdered out there just after the Dallas Five. I went down there to work for a few days to, while they could bury their own. But on the back of one of those Louisiana parish uh, kind of county sheriff vehicles, when you opened up the trunk, it was a big reminder and it says, it's up to us. Nobody else is coming. That's, that says it right there. I mean, it's, it's up to us. Nobody else is coming. My uniform may look different than yours, but I'm going to take a bullet for you just like you should uh, for another deputy or officer. And, and so what I did is I started merging at street level and doing training at two and three o'clock in the morning when the brass wasn't here, going over felony traffic stops, building clearing just taking the knowledge that I had in my head and then breaking bread with both agencies and getting us together to where we could properly mesh. Now, leadership changes, things happen that it'll get worse. Then you got to work on it again. And then uh, I started seeing, well, I, even if I eventually made it to police chief here, I wouldn't be able to fix the county level. But as a county sheriff, I could probably, being, being the highest law enforcement uh, person in the county, I could probably really redirect that to where we're doing a lot more training together. And now, since the leadership has changed at the police department, um, his name is Brian Corb. He's got a lot of experience. Um, he is so willing to make 
everybody work together and be okay with it, throw whatever resources are at it. So yes, sir. At the, I put my name in the hat. I'm running, I have two other running mates. I'm, I'm running for Jack County Sheriff and I want to be able to bring all the, um, if you want to call it expertise and knowledge that I've learned throughout the years. Um, and I want to come here and I want to, I want to mend that gap. I want to bring everything together and make us a, a stronger uh, fighting force for this entire county to truly protect the people that are here. And we've got some amazing people. Wow. That is, um, that is exactly what's needed at the leadership level in law enforcement across this country. We are literally the last line, the thin blue line, and it doesn't matter what your badge says or your patch says. We, we're supposed to back each other up. We're supposed to look out for each other because, like you said, and that's a great reminder from that L.A. Parish um, squad car in the trunk. <laughs> There's nobody else coming. It's up to us. And if we don't back each other up, we're going to be going to each other's funerals. And that's all there is to it. Exactly. And so the public requires a response. And frankly, if you're a woman and a domestic and you're being beaten, uh, you don't care what the patch says on the sleeve of the people that come through the door. You just want them to come through the door. You pay your taxes, you have your expectation of public safety. And so I applaud you in that approach. Uh, you know, you're not going to get a more qualified person to the people of Jack, Jack County. If you're, if you're a voter, you're not going to get somebody with more uh, experience, uh, more dedication to the, the fine art of training, um, working together with agencies, having that multiple agency approach, um, temperament, experience, communication skills. You, you have it all, and I think they'd be foolish not to elect you. And uh, Tom and I want to be able to congratulate you after your victory. And so you have a primary coming up very soon, don't you? Uh, it's on March 5th. Yes, sir. We have early voting that starts uh, February 20th, and that early voting will end on March 1st. Then we'll have the actual primary on March 5th. Uh, like I said, there's there's three candidates for sheriff. Um and one of those candidates will have to win. I believe it's 51% uh, to not have a runoff. And whoever wins that 51% right there will be on the November ballot uh, during the presidential election. So we will all know here in Jack County, I'll say, even if there's a runoff by the end of April, of who's going to be on that ballot. Wow. Well, we, we wish you nothing but the best. Tom, please. Yeah. I mean, unbelievable. I, you know what? It's so, you know, We've, we've talked, we've been friends, but you're so impressive. And the reason you're impressive is because of your outlook of how a situation needs to change. You know, you can sit up here, any politician, whatever, can sit up there, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this when it comes to crime. But your thought of, okay, if we get everyone, police departments on the same page and train the same way and helping each other out that filters down to doing a better job for the community. I mean, that outlook is so, unfortunately, not the norm. And that's why I think you're going to do so well with this, because people are going to hear that. You know, the police department's strong. They got each other. They're being trained in this because it'll help you be safe. People are going to get that. And, and what a message. I mean, and the way you present it is so great. And March 5th and the 51%. Hey, listen, we're two guys from New York. You know, Danny's not here anymore, but we're from New York. And, you know, we endorse you. We endorse this. We're endorsing a guy from, from Texas, you know, and because it's important to us, you know, we, we talk to people around this country and elections start in certain, certain areas that resonate throughout the country. And you're one of them. You know, we talk about Jonathan and Tommy all the time in Los Angeles County. That is important because that resonates throughout the country. Someone in Texas with your view resonates throughout the country. Like, all right, they're doing it. We can do it. And that's why, hey, we're behind you, man. We love this. What a message. Do you mind if I just give one more suggestion to not just sheriffs around the country, but just law enforcement in general? Um, this is part of my plan. And... You know, I've got a, had another company too that what we do is, you know, train our, uh, we, we train our defenders in the classroom. So these are, these are armed teachers. Uh, you know, the governor of Texas made it a law years ago that we could create a defender type, uh, martial program that, that will, as long as they have a legit company coming in, they can train them to be armed after they go through psychological screening. It's, it's not just a, here's a gun, go protect your classroom. It's, there's a, 
a lot of things that have to happen before that happens legally is, but what I want to add to this, and I'm not seeing it um, anywhere, hardly very small places do it, is, is to get law enforcement on board with your schools that are doing these type of defender programs and try to do it at the very least once a year, but I'd like to see it once a quarter to where your patrol officers are rolling in with these teachers on a weekend and you guys are doing simunition trainings. Because uh, God forbid, Uvalde is still on the tip of everybody's tongue, and not just Uvalde, I'm talking all the way back to Columbine. I was in the Marine Corps when Columbine happened, and that's when something went off in my head of, why are we not taking tip of the spear training and, and training law enforcement that's going in to stop this threat? And then once the bill, you know, everything passed for teachers to be able to legally do it, to go through the training, why don't we cohesively get them to train as a team? Because what's the first thing that's going to happen when a, when a gun goes off in a school? An alarm goes off. Different schools have different, I mean, some schools, and I hate to say this now, but they have gunshot detectors. And that does an immediate pre-recorded call to 911 or the administrative line. And then a plan goes into place if there's a plan. There's still not a plan in a lot of places. And that's scary. But to get that plan to where uh, XYZ teacher that are rolling down the hallway and then patrol officer, you know, Schmuckadelli's coming in. He's coming and lining up with these guys. But they do training together where they have that enough trust to where they can go in and, and, and clear. I'm going to tell you right now, the ones that are here in this area, and I'm obviously not going to go into names and stuff, but I feel very comfortable with rolling into a, a active shooter situation with them and with them on my side because of the training that they've gone through, we're going to be doing it the same way uh, with the same goal in mind. And that's to keep all these kids alive. Um, and then they, just real quickly that the, the, uh, the school districts that don't want to carry a gun and, that, and that's their right. Um, for liability reasons or whatnot, but they want some type of training to be the true papa bear, mama bear of these classrooms, how to barricade these rooms, how they can use different, uh, I'm not even going to go into it much, but you have a lot of things in the classroom that you can use to protect yourself. Um, and let's, let's, we've got to get more training on that and, and, and you call your local law enforcement, get them involved, ask them to come out because they probably have some deputies or officers that are that are in that school. They're gonna they're gonna be inclined. They they have a vested interest not only for that, but just because it's our next generation there. And I'll, I'll stop it there. But that's just a no. Good that's thing. that's enormous. That is a very very strong point. Um, we cannot deny as a society the fact that these events are happening. Uh, just in Houston the other day at Lakewood Church, uh, terrible terrible stuff. It's part of the human experience that's happening and it's trending upwards in America. So how do we, what do we do? Do we simply say we're going to wait for the police or do we look outside the box and think more holistically about protecting people and maybe spreading, not spreading. Yeah. Good, good word. English is a second language for me. I might grow up in Queens, <laughs> maybe spreading the responsibility around to everybody. And it's a shared responsibility for protecting life. Um, but how do we do that? We train people. Training is what works. People don't rise to the level of a crisis. They default to their training. And if they're trained, well, and people think law enforcement, oh, well, you guys are cops. You're, you're trained in this, right? Sometimes various degrees, right? And more training, the better. And so I applaud you for doing that. But I kind of want to pivot now because there's something else that you do that you're involved in that's very, very important. And it's coming up soon and we're looking forward to it. But you have an active role as a board member of the National Law Enforcement Officers Hall of Fame. And they're lucky to have you. Tell us how that happened and tell us what the work of the hall is. Well, I'm more lucky to have these people, which y'all both met, Megan and Adam. Um, and and there's, there's a story in the middle of this, too. So I, I was on LinkedIn a couple years ago and uh, doing one of my kind of laugh at a sunset or a sunrise post while in uniform humanizing the badge that we that we all wear every day uh retired or active it's still the same um for the oath that we took and and i made a post and i, I either it came up in my feed for the hall of fame or one of them commented but it got me to where i clicked on a profile saw what they were doing and i was so flabbergasted that i haven't heard of it yet um and that's just because maybe i'm in texas and i'm doing my thing and i don't go through the feed much but I started reading into it and looking at their website, and it kind of sparked off as a, a just a quick message to Megan. Hey, I, I, I've got, you know, when I post things, people see it, and I absolutely love what y'all are doing. Is there anything that I can do um, to share for you? 
um, maybe come up and watch uh, you fly up there just to be bear witness to it um, for these amazing men and women that are getting inducted like yourself, Tom. And it's, um, and it, it, it started, that started the conversation. Um, you know, Sheriff Mark Lamb is involved. He's, he's usually the MC when we have this up in Toledo. Uh, and I was already connected to Mark. We weren't best friends by any stretch of the imagination, but he's the, he's got a astronomical following on Facebook and up for through, through Pinal County and everything. Um, I reached out to him and he basically told me his thoughts on it and, and his role. I was like, man, I, you know, if, if, if God wants me to do something it, 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 and it's to att- bold or italicize what these people are doing and basically just bring attention to it. Um, and then ultimately I was asked, would, would you mind coming up and basically speaking for a while and then introducing Mark Land, who's going to be the MC? And boy, that's a, that's an honor. Um, and it kind of scared me and I'm like, why, you know, I'm not big time like Mark Lamb or, you know, I, I would love to do it. And sure. So I started sharing it and, and getting people to kind of go to their page and see, and I've never heard one negative thing about it, meaning what people would say is an opinion. And that's, that's even better. So segue real quick. I, you know, I, I accepted that role to go up there and, and speak at it. And, um, I'm at, I'm at home. Two days prior to leaving, I'm getting everything ready. I'm like, gosh, what do I wear? My uniform or do I need to wear a suit? I didn't ask Megan if this is a suit and tie. I assume it is because it's an induction ceremony. And then I started looking at my suit and tie and I'm like, I, that's too small. Um, <laughs> I've, uh, I have wore a suit, you know, since I got married. And uh, so I, I, I ultimately asked my chain of command staff and got approval you know, right before I left. I can wear my, my, what I wear here on the street, which is kind of a tactical looking thing. And I'm looking to change that in the future. But so I packed and I'm also training a new guy at the time. I'm I'm on his FTO. So out on patrol, we're about to round up our day. I think it's, oh, 3.34 or no, it might've been a little bit earlier, maybe around three, but the clouds to the West, I mean, it was these clouds were, there was no light coming through them. They were black. And once the sun got me, it just made everything dark. Um, the unforgettable tones came out on the radio uh, that the National Weather Service was stating that we're, we're getting really bad weather coming to Jacksboro. Um, and so we looped around to what's called Highway 4, basically watching the supercell come up toward, in, into Jack County. And we're driving northbound on Highway 4. And I've got my, he's not a rookie, he was a cop back in the 90s. Then he became a corrections officer. I uh, went to the oil company. They came back to his, his big love of law enforcement. He's in the driver's seat. And I don't think he's ever driven in anything like that. Not many people have. And I'm wanting to be that student driver instructor to where I wish I had a wheel and, and a gas and a brake on my side. Because now Manning's training is kicking in to, to where I, we're about to be in a bad situation. And all I can think is, is watching this on our MDT or computer in the car. I'm watching it shift more northeast. So I've got to make the, 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 the leadership decision to let this new guy drive while I, he doesn't have family in town. I do. And I called Jamie, my wife, and thank God the cell phones were still working at that time. But it was go pick up our, at that time, six-year-old daughter at the elementary school because it's bearing down on it. And then loop over to the high school and pick up my son. And uh, by the grace of God, she was able to get Shelby get Caden, get him back to our house. We're one of the very few houses in Texas that has a basement. Uh, my mother lives next door. We got, they gathered her, the, the family pets. They all went down in the basement while we're watching this thing. Uh, at, at that time, it was an F, uh, EF4. Uh, got downgraded to an EF3 just before it hit our elementary school. And it hit the elementary school and the gym. It totally destroyed the gym. And that's where during inclement weather, they usually put the kids in the gym or it's raining hard. Obviously, they have hardened hallways uh, for this type of weather. But the thing that goes around here in Jacksboro is it's a tornado. It's never going to hit us. There was a Indian something rather years and years ago. Then you can always watch the tornadoes go around in Jacksboro. It's, it's protected. It's protected. I don't care what's protected. You, you always have to, to plan for the worst. Um, then, of course, phone calls were made to the schools. Nobody died. If you look at the destruction path, you look up Jack County, Texas tornado, and, and there's an aerial shot, and it literally hits the elementary school, goes across the street, bears harder east, hits the friggin' high school. 
Um, and then it kind of barreled towards the sheriff's office, but it didn't hit the sheriff's office. But it continued all the way and past a city called Bowie, Texas, uh, where the Bowie knife come, comes from. And it went it just a heat, very wide uh, base of this. It's scary. But where I'm going at with this is is now we're in, in freak out mode. We're trying to, you know, there's some trailers have been rattled. They've got to use chainsaws to get them open. You wouldn't believe the amount of support that came in from counties. Uh, literally, the young county sheriff, his chief deputy came, brought all his deputies. Uh, we had some Palo Pinto, Wise County, and we basically created a um, where all the sheriffs were going to be at command post at the elementary school that was in, in bad shape. And then they started going over their plans. Well, I stayed for a few more hours. We had a lot of help here, and I had to remind my admin, I've got to leave for Toledo at about 4 o'clock in the morning for the, the Hall of Fame. And thank goodness we had enough help. Even one of my own deputies, and he's a good friend of mine, uh, lost his entire house. And his child was at home um, during this destruction. And thank God he's okay. Um, he had a teenager that was that was inside the house. But out of all the destruction, the biggest thing to take away from this is nobody died. We, I believe we had a lady that broke her leg or fractured her leg. But other than that, we got really lucky. And Banning got in his truck. Uh, don't know why I wanted to drive Toledo. I think it was cheaper at the time, but I, I drove all the way up to Toledo. Uh, and then the very next day I was, I was speaking at the amazing first time I've ever been there to the National Law Enforcement Officer Hall of Fame event, got to meet Mark, um, Megan and, and David and, and all their families, which are just as amazing as they are. Uh, and then Mark's wife, Janelle, um, was there as well. About eight months. And that was an amazing event to meet all these inductees going in. Was, was truly humbling for a guy like me to see. And then about eight months later, I got the phone call from Megan and Adam saying, we're going to turn this into a proper 501c3, or we're going to turn it into a nonprofit to see if we can, uh, if the, the organization can benefit better with people being able to get tax write-offs and whatnot. They went through the attorney, did everything right, and then they asked me to be a part of that board. And I was just like, boy, this is some favor. Now, to be asked to be a part of this organization is an uh, absolute favor. And of course, I said yes. So, my bugle right now is to to get people to fill these seats uh, and get people to become uh, amazing sponsors and hopefully lifelong sponsors to where they do it every year. Fantastic story! Wow, um, it, it's an honor to get to know you. You are a fascinating guy, but uh, it's something that we see as a common thread, Tom, in, in our guests, the people that are exceptional people in the world of law enforcement, is that humility piece. Doesn't matter where you've been or what you've done, there's always more to learn and always other people ahead of you to be put ahead of you. Uh, we're servants is what we do. And that comes through and you're so uh, loud and clear. And I'm, I know Megan and Adam and, and the folks at the hall are, are really good people and they see that in you. So um, can't wait to meet you next month, shake your hand, break bread with you, uh, talk more with you. We'd love to have you back at some point, but um, you know, your, your work in so many areas is so not just commendable, but so needed. And we wish you all the best in your run for Jack County Sheriff in Texas. We know you're going to win. Um, we, we, we will pray on that and we will pray for you and your safety and your family, as well as all members of law enforcement. But uh, Banning, we can't thank you enough. And we look forward to uh, next month. Thank you, Dan. Wow. Uh, it happens all the time. <clears throat> you know, we go in with with a kind of notes and, you know, what to talk about and who we have and, and we're impressed all the time. And then it gets to the end of the show. We're speechless, you know, about, about who we have on. And, and like you said, Dan, the humility that this man has, uh, is incredible, but it just shows what he's about. It shows what's important. What's a focus, you know, what, what he's all about in his heart. And like Dan said, Ben, I can't wait you know, till, till March 22nd at the Omni Hotel uh, in Fort Worth to meet you, shake your hand, give you a hug, take pictures, all that good crap. Uh, and it's an honor, you know, and it, for me, you know, the honor of that night uh, with people like you there in attendance, not even just that you're part of the board, but you're there to share in that night uh, is going to be special and memorable. And I can't wait, uh, not to mention Megan and Adam and everyone else that's going to be there. But thank you again so very much uh, for your time. And like Dan just said, you know, we'll have you back after you win. Pretty simple, you know, 
and <laughs> that's easy. Uh, but you know, like we do at this point in the show, uh, after saying thank you and, and just a absolute privilege and thrill to have you on this, we ask everyone out there to pray for our law enforcement officers, uh, city, state, sheriffs, federal, doesn't matter. They're all doing God's work and out there doing a thankless job that they don't ask for anything in return. Uh, and just respect them. A wave, a thank you, you know, a, a pat on the back in the store is, is all we ask on this show to do because you have no idea what that does to that officer. I said at one other show uh, a couple of weeks ago that you don't know the day that cop is having. And a thank you or a pat or a wave can change the entire dynamic of that day. So have that in your mind when you when you Just wave simple to acknowledgement them. goes a long way. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. Uh, so another That's incredible huge. show. Uh, at this point, we do a little selfish plug of youtubecom slash Shields. Make sure you hit that subscribe button, the bell, get notified of all our shows. Uh, rumble.com slash gold shields and every conceivable audio platform that's out there your favorites ones yep, you can rumble. search com. for um, we're on them all uh follow us we can't thank everyone enough for what's going on with this show it's getting to a point dan where uh we're busy all the time and i said this to banning before the show thank god for that <laughs> you know uh yeah we're, we're we're very blessed we're very blessed so Manny, uh please and i I, I appreciate the both of you uh, having me on. It's been a blessing. Oh, thank, for sure. you. Thank, oh, you. You thank you. Thank you. We laugh all the time. Tom and I, every, every now and then, check the metrics, and we'll find out just the other day we're in over 40 countries now. People are listening to us in over 40 countries. If That's I could just awesome. get my wife to listen to me for one minute. <laughs> you know, I mean, <laughs> what am I doing wrong? Uh, you know, I've always make been up, more popular with strangers. Awesome. That's how it works. We'll make a special show just that, just for her, so she can she has to listen to it. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah! Uh, Thanks, Banning, again. Uh, all the best. God bless you, your family, and the men and women of law enforcement. We thank you so much. And uh, I, I'm not going to do Tom's job. He takes us out all the time. No, you did it. We're good. Uh, this is okay. a partnership, brother. Uh, thank <laughs> yeah. you again for everyone. Everyone, stay safe. Uh, we'll talk to everybody soon. And take care.